my name is Mike Bell. I'm a partner with the law firm Honigman. I actually chair and run our financial institutions uh, practice group. I represent and work with about 150 of the largest credit unions across the country, and I spend most of my time helping them uh, grow. You're listening to the Credit Union Leadership Podcast, a podcast that delivers value and offers up insight that'll help your credit union grow. ServiceStar has been consulting with credit unions for over 20 years, growing them in the areas of cultural development, leadership development, and management training. To learn more about what ServiceStar can do for you or your credit union, check them out at servicestarconsulting.com. Welcome to the Credit Union Leadership Podcast. We are on with Mike Bell. Mike is is really helping the credit union industry grow, uh, but doing so in a, in a, a unique way. Mike, Tell the listeners, uh, what's your what's your part in the growth of our great movement? Yes, yeah, Scott, it's my pleasure. Really, there's two ways to think about it. Or I essentially spend my time in two ways, both different from one another. Um, uh, in one fashion, I work with credit unions across the country to buy things, right? So to acquire banks, bank branches, and all sorts of other businesses like insurance, investments, specialized lending. And then second to that, um, I work with credit unions more often than not on MOEs, which can be defined as mergers of equals. Um, Just to have folks understand, that doesn't mean their assets are exactly the same or, or necessarily extremely close, but it does suggest that the institutions are rather balanced. So I could do an MOE as an example with a $5 billion and a $2 billion credit union, or an MOE with a $1 billion and a $500 million credit union. It's more about the deal and, and, and what the end result will be. Those essentially are how I spend my days uh, in this industry and, and helping the industry to scale up and get stronger. I like it. I like it. Uh, we're talking about being balanced because, uh, you know, we're in the credit union industry and we got we to gotta balance our checkbooks, right? We got to help members balance their checkbooks. Uh, but I believe you're talking about the loan to share ratio, assuming maybe we're not just talking to CEOs on this podcast. Give somebody a, kind of a general uh, definition of what you would say is balanced. Yeah. So so when we look at these MOE transactions, and I'm talking about a deal that's balanced, I really think it's kind of when you look at the institution, A to Z or soup to nuts, you pick your uh, phrase. They're rather similar, both in their product offerings, the way they do business, and like you said, as an example, how they conduct their business. So what their loan to share ratios are, what their net worth levels are, what their non-performing loan um, numbers are, how their ALM works. You know, it doesn't have to be strictly based on assets. And in fact, it's not. It's more about how the organizations run themselves. Because Scott, you could look at two $1 billion credit unions and they could be completely opposite, as I'm sure you know, and I know the team at ServiceStar knows, they can have totally different types of uh, cultures, philosophies, and ways of doing business. Okay, so so philosophy and culture, uh, speak to that a little bit. So we in ServiceStar, our mission statement is to inspire transformational change. Those are cultural words and you just dropped the C word. Uh, so here on the Credit and Leadership Podcast, let's talk about culture for a little bit. So if I'm a progressive, high-risk taking credit union, uh, would I want to merge with a non-progressive traditional credit union that maybe doesn't take as many risks? Yeah. So your question, your question is suggestive and kind of invites where I was headed and perhaps where Service Star spends its day job. 
So that, that's my point. You know, again, we'll go to the example of the two $1 billion credit unions. I, I'm not disparaging anything when I say that there's a credit union out there that's a billion in size that's kind of that way by accident, right? Kind of that way by normal, just historical, whatever happens, happens. And then there's the $1 billion credit union that a few years ago was $500 million, right? And is aggressive and is striving and is pushing. One's not better than the other. I make no political statements, right? You know, bigger isn't necessarily better but they're completely different. Now I will share with you, I have a bias. Personally, I work with those 500s that are now a billion in two years, right? I, I spend my time, I know my strengths are best served with those that are more aggressive, that are looking in innovative things, that are trying to grow. That, that's my skill set. that's where I belong, but neither is bad. Yeah, yeah. When, when you talk about culture, that's typically top down and when we talk about top down in you know other industries, you're talking about the CEO, but in credit unions, we're not. In most cases, we're talking about the board. Uh, tell me, tell me specifically, what role does a board play in mergers and acquisitions? And and in in your job, um, how can you vet out whether or not a board is progressive? Can you just look at the numbers and figure that out, or do you have to do some digging on culture before you get to a credit union? Yeah, Scott, there's a theme developing here. You, uh, your insight is is spot on. So, so you are correct, right? I mean, management runs the day to day of a credit union. That's true. Period. Right? I mean, that's the fact. But when it comes to things like mergers of equals, or when it comes to things like acquiring a bank or other businesses, I assure you that it, this lies at the board, and the board has an outsized role. Not in the minutia, right? Not in you know building the deal, but in giving the green light. They have an outsized role. They have to develop and be prepared to have a philosophy for some risk taking, for some um, flexibility when it comes to mergers of equals about what they will or won't agree to. So I can tell you, I've been involved in many situations, right, where perhaps management is willing, and the board is not, and it does not go forward. And that could be the right answer. Again, I make no comment about right or wrong, but I will tell you the board has an outsized role. They have the the veto pen, right? If we want to think about that when it comes to the areas where I spend my time. So I can't, to answer the second half of the question, I can't look from the outside in to determine where the board sits. But I can assure you one of the first questions I have for management is, What's your board been talking about? Are they are they pushing you for growth or not? And if they're not, we, let's set a meeting. Let me get in front of these folks and say, hey, here's what I'm talking about. Yes or no, right? Both are right answers. We just need to know the answer so we don't waste time. So you're talking about strate- strategic planning sessions, potentially. Um, how early should you get in front of a board if you think maybe a merger is on the table uh, down the road? Yeah, so so I am talking about that. And the answer is earlier is always better. So it's very typical for a credit union to retain a strategic planner. I am not one, right? They they, they work with, with people like Service Star or others, but it's very typical for me to swoop in for an hour to an hour and a half session to talk about one thing, and that's this, about mergers and acquisitions and non-organic growth. And that's the way to do it. Because like I said to the board, every board I see, the mistake is to not consider it. Mm -hmm. Considering it and then saying yes, or considering it and then saying no, are both 100% correct. The error lies in not discussing it. 
So um, the end result of our time together typically is either a, a, a path forward or a decision not to for good reason. And that's a win. We, we understand from our research here at Service Star that uh, avoiding conflict is actually kind of the DNA of, of most credit unions, um, even though it's interesting. We manage risks for a living. So you think when it comes to riskiness, we're all in, right? But we, when you manage risk for a living, we actually become pretty risk adverse. Uh, and that's not just from the balance sheet, but also from the from the social aspect of it. So this this whole merger thing kind of has a cloud around it that's maybe not uh, earned, uh, but it's certainly there. It's kind of like dropping the B word. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so tell me, like, where where does the where does the fear of talking about mergers come from? Yeah. So first, let me start by saying one of the things you will hear out of my mouth in every session is a reminder that we are in the risk business because we are. You're spot on, right? We we take risk every day, and it's calculated and it's educated. But if we didn't, we would be closed. Period. Right. So we need to remember what business we're in. And so that then when we talk about these things, we can re-remind ourselves, oh, wait, we take risk every day. We're going to evaluate it here just like we always do and make educated, well-thought-out moves. You know, Scott, I think if you looked in the strategic plan of every credit union on earth, somewhere in there, you're going to see the word mergers and acquisitions. I promise. The question becomes, though, are the words in your plan and that's where it stops? Is your plan amorphous? Does it say you will or you won't? Or does it have some nothing statement? No service star client has that, I'm sure. But that's the question. And so my thrust here is pick a side, right? Make a decision. Pick a moment because in the risk game, you have to pick a side. Mm. Again, both making a loan or not making the loan could be the correct question. Being on the fence, you will be out of business, period. I like I like your your business motto is, is set based on proactiveness, which actually makes sense that you work with progressive credit unions because they're the ones getting out ahead of it before um, it's brought to their attention that they need to look for merger partners. So tell me about this credit union. It needs to find a partner and and fast. Mm-hmm. How, how how do you partner up with those types of credit unions? Yeah. So let me say this one thing I'll add. So I certainly regularly will uh, be retained to work with the smaller credit union, help protect them uh, on a merger. And that's actually my favorite work. It's just, it's just not, um, it's not the largest transaction. So, you know, you don't do it for a living, but you do it for love. And I do love that. And the one thing I say to that segment, again, I'm not, I'm not discriminating on size. Okay. Everything is lovely. And I believe in a small credit union, just like the big one. But I say to them, the question you ask, Scott, is almost when it's too late. You lose leverage and you lose flexibility. And I'll be honest, if you are a hundred million dollar, fifty million dollar credit union today, and you put and you're healthy, right? You're healthy, and you put word out, hey, we're interested in maybe having a partner, you would have 10, 15, 20 credit unions on your doorstep throwing themselves at you. You actually have the leverage, which people don't understand. The moment your health as an organization starts to decline and we see the trajectory and where it's heading, your leverage reduces proportionately over time that same way until you get to a point where the regulator is like, well, you've now lost your choice. We are going to help you find somebody. And I'll tell you, in our industry, I think in a good way, because of our philosophy, because of our mission and we are who we are, there's never a problem finding a home. And in fact, many of my clients do regularly and they lose money on the transaction. 
but it's a part of doing business. It's a part of the mission and it's good for the industry. So in the end, you don't lose. I, I like I like the idea of in the end, you don't lose. And I love our movement. I really do. I was brought up in an industry where I was taught there is no such thing as a merger. They're all acquisitions. Mm. Tell me a little bit about why that's different in our industry, but also why that's still kind of true. And, and how do you... Mm-hmm. How do you how do you navigate around that conversation? Because there will only be one CEO. There will only be one board chair, right? That remains. So how do you how do you how do you placate that delicate delicate balance? Yep. So I'll tell you, I'm on both sides of that coin. So in one spot of my business, when we buy banks, bank branches, or their businesses, it's 100 percent an acquisition, period. Yep. It's about the money. And then we tell our story for sure, but it's a business deal. When it comes to the other side of the coin with the CU to CU combination. You know, it cannot be induced by money, right? You cannot force a transaction to occur. We do not have fiduciary duties in our world that say we're required to sell to somebody or we're required to merge into somebody. That's actually not true. So other things come into play. And by the way, this isn't unique to credit unions. This is the same in nonprofit hospitals, agricultural cooperative, electrical, you know, utility cooperatives. All of these cooperatives have this exact same trend or path where These marriages, truthfully, are voluntary, um, and we need to tackle the issues that are everything except money, because it's not about price. So I think there's a way, when you look at it, to equal this out, even though there's one charter, one CEO, you know, one name, I think there's a way to balance the issues. So on many mergers of equals... We will certainly have to pick a name. We have to have someone that's the CEO, have to have someone that's a board chair. But there's a lot of other things involved in a transaction where you can give and take. You can have two headquarters. Um, You can play with board seats, committee chairs, audit committee chairs, that kind of thing. You can play with the executive suite. um, And it's not just based on title, but based on, you know, control and job duties, whether it's a CEO, a president, an EVP, or various C-level folks, where there's a will, there's a way for this to feel balanced and for it to be contractually and operationally balanced um, in the end. If you were to give people a three-step process towards success and a story that maybe tells that three-step process as, as to how it actually lives out, What's, what's maybe some of your recent examples without listing credit union names, if you can't do that, where it was a huge success, uh, what, what made it a success and what, what are steps that credit unions can follow to have the same trajectory? Yeah. So look, step one is the pre-work, right? Step one is the, and, and it's interesting because I think people can see value in policies and strategic planning, right? And then people also can kind of laugh and think it's a bunch of hocus pocus and all it is is a written document. Right. There's two sides to that. But I'm saying to you, done properly, that's priceless. Right. That pre-work is priceless if it's good pre-work because it prepares the board and the management to then execute and to move forward without hiccups, uncertainty or discomfort. It's so great when a client calls me in a situation and that pre-work's been done. We've got a mandate to you know kind of do X or Y. It saves remarkable amounts of time, second guessing and stress, right? So step one is that pre-work. I can't emphasize that enough. Step two, right, is is actually then executing on it, right? And I say that because it's tricky. The work can sit on a shelf. 
So you got to own that and then you got to execute on it. And, and I've seen, I mean, look, most of my clients execute on it. That's why they call me because then there's something to do, right? Let's be frank. And then finally, I do think there's an element of open-mindedness and flexibility that is absolutely required. We can talk about sacred cows, pick a name for what you want that to be. And that's fine. We can get positional. You know, we'll never give up our name, right? Things like that. I will caution you that that's a direct path to failure. So you do the pre-work, you own it, you execute it. But at the same time, I think it's very important to keep an open mind because each situation is different and consider if it's in the best interest of your members or not at that point. So somebody is ready. They're ready to, to, to go forward with, with this process. They got their three steps. Um, tell me a cautionary tale, a be wary of, of uh, these things so that they don't go off the, the cliff. On this uh, on this merger, what has absolutely destroyed some credit unions when mergers have gone wrong? Yeah, so so here's what I will say: not that necessarily the merger has gone wrong, but that time is wasted. So I noticed some years ago the massive amount of inefficiency and time wasting, both in the acquisition side with buying things, and then in the mergers of equal side or credit union mergers, and I became hypersensitive to it. Because when you waste time, energy, and resources, it then hampers you for that next actual or real opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I've be, I've like gotten tunnel vision, I admit it, and I am biased. I admit that at the, at the start, that I am against wasting time and being inefficient. So I can tell you nightmare story after nightmare story where a client looked at the prize at the end and became blind to the red flags that popped up daily, weekly, and monthly until we waste a year and have nothing to show for it. So I preach and preach and scream and yell and use highlighters and bold and italics to talk about where are we, what, you know, where are we in the process? What do we need to decide today? And are there any red flags? Because we want to stop before we waste time or money. I think you could talk to credit unions across the country and and so many have that story, Scott, about, yeah, well, spent a year on this, spent eight months on that. Boy, we were excited, spent a year and a half on that. And I can't tell you we can prevent it, but I can tell you we can limit it. We can make that time shorter. We can hopefully leave some of those to the side and stay focused on the winners because that's a killer. It's a resource killer and it makes me mad, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, and it probably keeps the credit union from wanting to do it a second or a third time, right? So the, yes, the never yes. again kind of credit unions are out there because they had a bad first experience. That might be the clout that mergers carry with them is we've gone through one, didn't go too well, and we felt like we, we spun our wheels unnecessarily. So yeah, I could see where that would that would keep you up at night. And let uh, me emphasize one thing real quick on this yeah. that I forgot to say, but I think it's so important. Credit unions, the execs, the team, the people, they have a day job, right? We're doing our day job. Everything you and I are talking about is in addition to the day job, right? The day job of doing credit union business never stops. So anything we're going to do in this space is extra or in addition. So that's why that time wasting is so important because we actually don't have the time to waste. This is not initiative number one. This is the extra bit that we have to be hyper-focused on. With a volunteer board as well. So uh, what are some of the last... If you had if you had some last comments for the listeners of the Credit Union Leadership Podcast, what do, what do you want to have them take away from this podcast? Yeah, two things, right? And I said them both before, but I'm going to say them again, maybe in a different way. Number one, 
you've got to do the pre-work because there's not a wrong answer except not doing the pre-work. So you got to engage with your team, with experts you bring in, consultants, and tackle these issues and make a decision if you're yes or you're no, issue by issue. The mistake is inaction, right? And then two, doing that pre-work is going to benefit you, right, and help you from not wasting time later. Um, we have to be so focused on respecting the time of our team, our organization, its resources, both time and money, so that when the right thing comes, we can actually execute it. And we're not handicapped with our hands behind our back. Thanks, Mike Bell. And thanks to the listeners of the Credit Union Leadership Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this opportunity to level yourselves up and develop yourselves as you come to understand more of the aspects of this great credit union movement by having experts on the Credit Union Leadership Podcast like Mike Bell. Well, we are gearing up for season six of the Credit Union Leadership Podcast. Get ready for new programming new voices, and new production tools and techniques to be able to deliver the best top-of-the-line leadership tips and tricks from our experts here at the Credit Union Leadership Podcast Studios, home of Service Star Consulting, a 25-year company that's been around serving credit unions as credit union pros, and we continue to offer new things at servicestarconsulting.com for you to dabble in, and some of them are already available to put on your calendar. So go ahead and take a look at servicestarconsulting.com Mike Bell's information is going to be in the show notes, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Credit Union Leadership Podcast.